1: Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 13, and it's brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL and follow the BGN Radio account on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. So, one area where I really want to beef up the coverage this year is in the fantasy football department, since so many of you likely dabble in it to one degree or another. And with that in mind, I have a great guest for you today. That's going to help me work through the fantasy outlook for the Eagles. And then we'll take a broader view of the league. That guest is Elliot Christ of the Quant Edge. One of my favorite fantasy minds in the industry. www.thequantedge.com. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Special promo code POWERHOUR, all one word, will get you 25% off their season-long DFS subscription. I use them myself, and I swear by them. So take advantage of that promo code and make some money this season with the Quant Edge. And if you're not sold on it yet... I think the conversation that we had will take care of that. So let's kick it over to that conversation right now. He is the Director of Production and Analytics at the Quant Edge. And if you've had the displeasure of following both of us on Twitter, you know he's one of my favorite targets when it comes to busting balls. And I'm sure the same is true for him with me. He is Elliot Christ. Elliot, good to have you back on BGN. How you doing, brother?
2: I'm doing well. And I think that's a pretty accurate description of our relationship, friendship, or whatever it is. You know, it's a it's a lot of fun going after each other, but it's it's always in good fun.
1: Absolutely. So Elliot, I've already told the people where you work and all that, but I do want to give you the opportunity to plug yourself and your work, tell the people where they can find you and what the Quant Edge can do for them.
2: Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at Elliot Crist, E-L-I-O-T, C-R-I-S-T. You can check out the website, thequantedge.com. You know, it's all about DFS, betting, fantasy. We provide you an edge or betting. Actually hit 60% last year across every single NFL game, 67% for best bets. You know, every every game we have picks on the totals, we have picks on the spread. Moneyline this year will come out as well as player props across all games as well. So we're really excited about that. And then on the DFS side, you know, we have optimizers. Our brand new website's coming out uh, at the end of July. A bunch of tools, you know, an injury tool, which is great for any NFL fan to see the impact when any player is on or off the field. You can check offensive linemen or defensive linemen or defensive backs, whatever you want to do. All fantasy players, you can see how their teammates are impacted. Wide receiver cornerback matchups. We've got uh, head-to-head comparisons, heat maps. This year we're coming out with a pace tool to understand kind of, you know, how how the game should be paced throughout. You know, whether or not the Eagles are running no huddle more uh, when they're down eight compared to e- even, I mean, obviously certain things are, you know, you, you understand it's going to happen, but a lot of really good nuggets that you can find. Uh, we're going to have dynamic rankings. We'll have ownership percentages, you know, or a game script tool. Basically everything you can want to find an edge, you're going to be able to get at thequanedge.com along with obviously content and premium membership chat and access to experts. So check it out, thequanedge.com.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. And no matter what angle you're taking for following football, whether you're just doing it to learn more, like I use the injury tool all the time because it shows you all of the in-out splits. And, you know, you can see the impact that Amari Cooper had very vividly on the Cowboys offense with that tool. You know, if you're gambling – if you're using it for fantasy, I, I use it for a lot of different things. So go to thequanedge.com. Really excellent stuff there, and you don't just cover football too, right? Like for instance, are you on this big? Uh, I know you were watching UFC. You guys cover all types of stuff. I just kind of wanted to talk about Amanda Nunes because she's like my new
2: hero. <laughs> oh, she she is something else. That was a that was a fun fight card. Yeah, there's some a lot of upsets. The, you know, the UFC was you know it was a hell of a Saturday night. We cover UFC, we have MLB, we have NBA, we have college basketball. This year, we'll have college football as well. Mm. So you know, we we try to cover all the major sports. We'll eventually roll out NHL and golf. But basically, we want to be your one-stop shop for analytics, analysis, tools, anything you need to kind of help you win. I love it. All right. So let's dial in on football now, because that's what we're here to
1: talk about today. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and we'll hit up some Eagles guys first before we expand out to the rest of the league, but Carson Wentz franchise quarterback is receiving a ton of hype heading into the 2019 season Daniel Jeremiah Lewis Riddick and others have talked about the potential for an MVP season and really outright guaranteed it in Riddick's case how sold are you on his fantasy ceiling being one of the best in the league and how are you treating him entering drafts
2: yeah I'm I'm very excited about Carson Wentz and this whole Eagles offense you know I think it's absolutely loaded you know, Wentz is healthy now. And that's a big deal. You know, before he tore his ACL, he was probably the front runner for MVP, right? He was second mm-hmm. overall among quarterbacks and fantasy points. What I love is that they the Eagles throw the ball a lot. They were 89% on pass attempts. He averaged two and a half touchdowns per game. Not, his His touchdown rate was probably going to regress some, but this offense just offers so many weapons and so many opportunities to score. And they were also, they were getting up big in games and kind of taking the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter so if they didn't get up big because of touchdown aggression there might be more volume so it could kind of balance it itself out and the other thing is you know they did a lot of zone read they, they had a lot of opportunities for Wentz to use his legs and he was just such a high floor player and i think he has that opportunity again this year because quite frankly i think this has the opportunity to be the best eagles offense in the peterson era yeah for for me You know, I think the missing piece for this team is Deshaun Jackson, Mm. his ability to take the top off of defense. And, you know, he's he's not quite what he was his first Eagles run, but he's still a hell of a player as long as he's healthy. You know, they've tried a couple of years with Torrey Smith or Mike Wallace, and it just hasn't worked out right Torrey Smith was flat out bad and Mike Wallace got hurt. He only saw three targets last year. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a team where Alshon Jeffrey has been leading the team in average depth of target. And here comes to Sean Jackson, who averaged 19 who had an average a dot of 19 yards last year. And, you know, if you look at every quarterback he's ever played, the Colt McCoy's, Ryan Fitzpatrick's RG threes, Kevin Cobbs, Nick Foles. I know Nick Foles is a hero among Eagles fans, but he's not very good. Uh, Vince Young, You know, McNabb towards the end, Vic, like he's elevated every single one of these guys with kind of the exception of Jameis Winston. But, you know, he's just I think he's such a key missing piece to this offense where they have elements at every level. They have dynamic playmakers. And I think Wentz is in for a massive year.
1: You alluded to it already. Part of the reason for Wentz being so hyped is the weapons surrounding him, but that depth is both a blessing and a curse if you're a fantasy player, uh, perhaps looking to stack Wentz or just go grab a weapon on what's presumably going to be a very productive offense. So let's kind of dial in on one that you already hit on with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, how that dynamic works together. How am I to decide which to go with? Because it feels like they could both see very volatile waves of production throughout the season. For instance, even without the presence of the aforementioned Mike Wallace last year, Jeffrey would go from games of two catches for 39 yards to eight and seven catches for 74 and 88 yards, respectively, and then three combined touchdowns. And then he would follow that up, followed by five straight games of 50 yards or less and no touchdowns. So uh, would you encourage a strategy where you select, you know, Jeffrey, and then maybe you get an injury handcuff with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? Or are you a Deshaun Jackson guy? Or are you kind of staying away from both unless the value is too good to pass up?
2: I mean, I think it's a situation where, you know, fantasy for me, so much is not necessarily the player, it's the cost associated with them. Mm -hmm. So the thing I really like about both these guys, quite frankly, and unfortunately, people are starting to catch on with Deshaun Jackson. (laughs) There's so much ceiling built into their current cost. You know, when I can get an Alshon Jeffrey in the sixth or seventh round, you know, I can play matchups that week and understand there's going to be, you know, ebbs and flows of his production, but he's, you know, a touchdown guy. In a high potent offense, mm. and it's a situation where I'm not paying for a ceiling. I'm kind of paying him for it at his floor, and I th- I think you know he's not going to be one of these receivers that can match it like a DeAndre Hopkins. But I don't have to pay that cost for him. So in best ball which uh, if your you users don't know what that is, basically you draft your team and then you don't touch it again, and whoever has the most points at the end of the season wins. Um, where you draft a lot of teams. I really like to stack the Eagles' offense because of its unpredictability, but I know throughout the course of the season, this team's going to have 35-point games once they'll throw four touchdowns, and Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson will be huge pieces of that. So, basically, I like both guys at cost because I think there's a lot of ceiling involved with both, but I, you have to understand there is going to be volatility, especially with Deshaun Jackson, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he'll have games where he'll have three catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns, and other okay. games where he has two targets for and ends up like 11 yards. I mean, it's, it's just kind of the nature of the beast with him, but as, as long as it's built into the cost, I'm all about chasing the upside.
1: Yeah, with Deshaun, you know, I'm looking at the heat map that we're going to to talk about later. But 58 percent, 10 points, 33 percent over 15 points or 15 points plus. So not too bad there. But, yeah, re- what you're really hoping on is the home run ball. And really, I mean, the connection between Wentz and Deshaun leading up to this point. They seem to be on the same page. So that's a very exciting thing for the Eagles looking for a serious deep threat. And if Wentz is having an MVP type season, you're going to see a lot of bombs to Deshaun Jackson. So I do like the value there. And like you said, if you can get Jeffrey out of value at a good spot and then play matchups from there and kind of hope you guess right on when to play him. Then yeah, absolutely. But let's let's go to the running back position because I think there's there's a similar situation there, just not with the dynamic talent that the Eagles have at wide receiver. Because you're looking at Miles Sanders, who they drafted, and a lot of people expect big things out of them. I know we here at BGN are a little more uh, tepid with our expectations when it comes to him, especially considering his pass pro concerns and whatnot. Howard is excellent in pass pro, so they also have Jordan Howard in the backfield. How are you sussing out that backfield? Are you just fading the whole thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like every year we get to the Eagles, it's like this is the year where it's like – You know, Doug Peterson has always done running back by committee, but this is the year it all changes because they finally have the talent. And that's what, like, we did the same thing with Jay Ajahi last year. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they spent draft capital on Miles Sanders, obviously. I do think he's a talented running back, but like you mentioned, there are concerns in pass pro. That's what Howard does well, though Howard is not a good receiver. Right. You know, what Howard has succeeded in, you know, with different forms of blocking, the Eagles do very well as well. So, And no Eagle running back last year saw more than 62% of the snaps. And snaps are the highest correlated statistic to running back fantasy success. Again, in best ball, I'm happy to take either guy later because one of the two of them or both of them are probably going to have weeks of fantasy production for sure. But in redraft, it's going to be tough to know. And if they're really splitting snaps evenly, there's not a ton of value to be had here, despite the fact that both guys can help the Eagles be successful this year. Yeah,
1: as somebody who covers the Eagles, obviously, I'm probably out on taking either of them because you just like you said, Every year we do the same song and dance with this backfield going. Well, who's the bell cow going to be? Like they don't. That's not. That's not their thing. Even when they get a hot hand like Josh Adams last year, you still saw his snaps reduce significantly for you know in certain weeks. So it's hard to predict. And the Eagles are to me anyway. Unless Miles Sanders, you know, two three years down the line maybe starts to show himself as a bell cow back, a third down receiver, you know, with improved pass pro. uh, I'm I'm out on taking anybody in that backfield right now. What about the tight end position? Because there's a similar dynamic with the wide receiver position. Obviously, Zach Ertz was still very productive last year, set in records. But Dallas Goddard's snap counts rose and stabilized towards the end of the season, ending the regular season with six straight games playing over half of the offensive snaps. Are the two different enough with enough snaps to go around to not kill each other's fantasy value?
2: Yeah, I mean, I really think this team views both these guys as you know, potential wide receivers. I mean, yeah. you, you would know as well as I do, but, you know. Well, Groh Gro
1: called Dallas Goddard a starter and Ertz spends a ton of his time in the slot. He's basically like a wide receiver.
2: That's what I was about to say. Like, I think, honestly, Zach Ertz is kind of the slot receiver on this team and Goddard it's going to end up being the tight end and Nelson Aguilar is going to take a back seat. Mm. It technically won't be 11 personnel, but that's what it's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know Ertz is very excited about Sean Jackson because he felt like he always had a safety over the top of him. Hmm. And that Jackson's going to really help him there. His target volume probably has to come down. I mean, 10 targets per game nearly is what he averaged last year. And he was the number one tight end in all of red zone opportunities. I do think you'll see that these these quarterbacks tend to really find their guy they like in the red zone. And I think that Ertz will remain that. But, man, I love Goddard's upside. I loved him coming out. I, I feel like he'd be higher drafted right now based on his statistics, if that one Cowboys call didn't get reversed. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. That was 75 yards and a touchdown would have been huge for his stat line. <laughs> yeah, and k- keep in mind these tight ends, you know, after the top three guys, they're so volatile that that play could legit move him up a punch this <laughs> year when you're when you're looking back at his statistics. But, you know, if he's going to play 50 60% of the snaps, that puts him in the fantasy-relevant conversation absolutely. Yeah. I think the nice thing about Goddard is that he's – You know, he's a hot name right now, but he's still affordable. Ertz, if something does happen to Zach Ertz, he's a league winner. You know what I mean? He's going to step right into that Ertz role and just get massive amount of volume and absolutely crush at his current cost. So one of the things I always look for in late round guys is do you have standalone value at, at your draft position? And if there is an injury... Can you vault up into like a guy that would go in the top three or four rounds? And I think that's exactly what Dallas Goddard is. Yeah. In redraft, you certainly don't want him to be your number one tight end because you're going to have weeks of extreme volatility with that snap count. But as a second tight end where he can spot start and if a Ertz injury happens and in best ball, he's going to score some touchdowns this year for sure. I, I'm a huge Dallas Goddard guy and I think this, the ceiling for him is is massive. And, you know, I think he's got a decent floor throughout the course of the season with how much he's going to be involved in the offense.
1: And you make a great point about Ertz. Like, what if somebody does go down and not wishing injury upon Ertz, but Ertz for three seasons in a row didn't play all 16 games last year. He did. And, you know, he's he's been fairly durable, but still not the most durable guy. And I think you're right. If he goes down, I think Goddard is definitely in that conversation of, of, of being... A league winner, so you're you're high on Goddard, and I think you know my expectation for Goddard. If Ertz is healthy throughout the season, hopefully he is, is something around 500 yards, five touchdowns, maybe 600 yards, six touchdowns is his ceiling. For Ertz, do you see his his last year production that 1,100 plus yards, the eight touchdowns? Do you still feel that stable even with the emergence of Goddard?
2: I think the touchdowns. It's still going to be there because of how they really like to use him in the red zone. Yeah. I think he'll probably drop in the yardage category for sure because I just don't see the, the sheer amount of volume going there. So, again, one one thing that I think he does have going for him is the Deshaun Jackson thing really opens up the offense. You know, he could be more efficient on some of his targets. Yeah. But I, I think it's a situation for me where – You know, George Kittle's got some concern, too, with Jimmy Garoppolo coming back and how much the offense is still going to run through him. But I would I think I would lean Kittle over Earth's right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big Kittle guy, as we've said on this on this network before. So that's kind of our overview of the Eagles entering the season. When we come back here on Bleeding Green Nation, talking with Elliot Christ of the Quant Edge, we're going to take a more broad view around the league and talk about, you know, 1.01. Who do you draft? And moving forward throughout the draft, some of the better values and guys that we would fade as well. That's up next here on Bleeding Green Nation.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
1: And we are back here on Bleeding Green Nation, presented by the fine folks at SB Nation and, of course, Bleeding Green Nation. We're talking with Elliot Christ of the Quant Edge. Let's take a more overall view around the league for the second portion of this show here, Elliot. So let's zero in on the poor souls with the number one overall pick in their fantasy drafts. One major target is Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants. And there's been some recent chatter about fading him, perhaps from those with the second overall selection. But recently you tweeted out, quote, I don't get the anti-Barkley at one stuff. Is he in a bad offense? Yep. Was he also in a bad offense last year? Yep. O-line improved, locked in volume floor, game breaker, heavy pass game usage, as good of a weekly for floor ceiling as any back, unquote. So talking about Barkley here, I'm with you on this, but looking at the options at the top there, is he still your slam dunk? No brainer at one overall.
2: I mean, here's the great thing about one overall this year is I it's really hard to mess it up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you're if, you, if you're going to make like I can make an argument for Zeke, I can make an argument for McCaffrey. I can I wouldn't love my argument for Kamara, but I could make one. Mm. You know, it's a situation with Barkley that like I get it. Beckham's gone. And we're going to look at the fact that he, you know, his points per game went from like 22 ish to 18 ish. But that's also that one Titans game where it was in the rain where the Giants just didn't try. Mm. He still saw 10 targets in that game. He was awful. But in one of the other games, he had 170 rushing yards. Another one, he had like 109. You know, he still saw 30 targets in four games. Though, one thing that made me laugh when looking at this was uh, when you tweeted at me that, you know, negative air yard <laughs> targets should not count as receptions. Yeah, And on his 30 targets, he had minus 18 air yards in the last four games of the season. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible
1: what are you doing which by the way
2: is mind-blowing that they don't know how to use him, right if you line him up in the slot you get him on linebackers you know he we saw that game against san francisco like he he had like 60 yard reception yep he could be so dynamic if they they learn to use him that way as well but you know he still saw a high amount of volume i think his offense like getting zeitler i think is a big deal hernandez is in his second year i agree you know i'm blanking on the center's name but they're a fan of him soldier we like to make fun of but he's not as he's not as good as his contract says. But he's not like this. I can't play football, guy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Beckham's a big deal, and Eli Manning stinks. Beckham's a big deal, but you know, Shepard, and Golden Tate. People are acting like this is the worst wide receiver core in the NFL or weapons core in the NFL. You know, and Barkley was PFF's third highest grade runner against eight man in the box. And yep, you know, I get the eight man in the box concern. Here's the thing about Barkley, and you tell me if you agree with this: is that Barkley, one of the things that's about fantasy football is that they're going to give him the ball a lot, and he might end up with four straight, five straight, negative three-yard runs. But eight-man-in-the-box, if you break that first level, it's going to be tough to catch you. Mm. And Barkley is tough to catch, right? So (laughs) he's going to break through every once in a while and have these monster plays, right? I think he has, what, eight plays of over 49 yards in his career already, which is the second most in the last three years among backs despite the fact he's only played 16 games. I mean, his home run ability is special. I know you tweeted out the thing about Barry Sanders and the comparison. And their, their game styles are very similar. And that kind of game breaking back locked into such a high pass volume part of the offense. Like the the real counter is, you know, the Giants offense isn't any good. And, you know, not many backs can finish top five in fantasy football if the offense doesn't, if the offense finishes in the bottom 10. But, you know, this is the middle of the road Giants offense last year. And Beckham's a big loss, but I don't. People are acting like this is the worst offense in all of football, which I think is a stretch. Yeah. And I just think you know if you're gonna touch if you're gonna give me Saquon Barkley with twenty to twenty five touches per game, I'm I'm gonna lock and load and and enjoy it because his floor he only scored uh, single digit fantasy points once last year. <laughs> it's just it's just it's just a great situation, but. Are you going to ask me why is he so much better than McCaffrey or Zeke? Like, it's going to be hard for me to poke holes in their resumes as well. Yeah. So it's a situation where if you really like Zeke or if you really like McCaffrey, it's okay to go for it. But this whole Barkley can't be a top five running back this year thing really confuses me.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you on a lot of those points, and one thing that I would have mentioned, like, would you be concerned about the amount of touches that Barkley is going to get because of the risk of injury, but you can say that for Ezekiel Elliott, you can say that for Christian McCaffrey, and and all of them have been pretty healthy throughout their careers, so really, for me, it's Barkley at one, what about... Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers, because he put up similar numbers to Barkley in different ways. He put up nearly 2,000 yards from scrimmage, only 100 less than Barkley, only two less touchdowns, 107 receptions versus Barkley's 91. Is he and not Ezekiel Elliott the Barkley consolation prize for you?
2: Yeah, he's he's my 102. Here's the thing. Barkley and McCaffrey, honestly, Zeke's targets kind of went up a lot last year too, but they did, Barkley and yeah. McCaffrey are almost receivers and running backs with the sheer amount of targets they're getting. Mm -hmm. You know, this this 120 targets a season used to be like a solid wide receiver, too. And then you add in, you know, 250 carries. It's it's why these running backs are, to me, their own tier. You
1: know, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking about Barkley, like we talk about the Barry Sanders to Barkley comparison because they have that boom bust of their game. Well, if you could take Barry Sanders and then flash forward, you know, 20, 30 years to the modern passing game and put his skill set as a receiver, like, yeah, I'm taking that all day. But exactly. anyway, back back to what we were talking about.
2: Listen, if you want to talk about Barry Sanders for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> I'm more than happy to do that. That's I don't care if you think running backs don't matter. If you don't like Barry Sanders, man, I don't like you. But, you know, with, with McCaffrey, he has like – he had the highest – um snap share of like any running back ever like he was playing a hundred percent of the snaps it was ridiculous and they said they're gonna wane that yeah. back some but it can only go less right you can only have less than 100 percent. I, I i really like the paradise pickup you know i think that's it their interior offensive line is really good he's in the better offense with you know curtis samuel and dj Moore and cam newton and and a better offensive line I he, he's got such a high floor too based on his weekly uh targets and the thing is that's really interesting about McCaffrey is that people talk about the Barkley injury factor. But two years ago, it was Barkley can't handle an NFL workload. He's too little. And now there's zero concern <laughs> about McCaffrey ever getting hurt. Right. Zeke's big thing for me is once Amari got there, man, he was getting so much volume. Yeah. Uh, he was playing 90% of the snaps. He never saw less than 19 touches. big part of that was their push to get him in the playoffs. You know, you could also argue the fact that he's probably going to be done soon. If the Cowboys are smart, they won't sign him to a big contract. So they might kind of run him into the ground like they did with the Marco Murray. Good point. So, I mean, I would personally take Barkley 101. If you took Zeke and McCaffrey, like it's one of these situations where I'm just thrilled if I get a top three pick. And I think Kamara is amazing. Kamara would be my 101 if he had a similar snap share to these guys. But you look at Kamara last year before Ingram got there when he's playing 80 plus percent of the snaps. And he was... He, was, he scored 101 fantasy points in four games. He outscored Zeke by 30 points, Barkley by 38 points, Gurley by 10, despite the fact Gurley's getting all the touchdowns in the world, and Melvin Gordon by 20. Goodness. And then once his snaps dropped to about the 65% range, you know, we're talking about a 10-point drop-off in points per game. So if you believe that Latavius Murray's going to take that, Mel, uh, that Mark Ingram role, I think it does impact Camaro. His efficiency, though, man, I mean, mm-hmm. is all-time great. Yep. you know, the, I know running back doesn't matter is the really popular thing, but these four guys right now, man, they're I think they're very special players for their position.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the efficiency, and I've tweeted this out before with Kamara. Kamara's the only back over the last three years with over 300 carries, that his explosive run frequency – is higher than his 0 to negative yards frequency as a runner. So he is steady Eddie as good as it gets at the at the running back position. So he's a favorite of mine too, but obviously the snap share, you know, you got to be confident that he's going to be getting more than 60% of the snaps in that backfield cuz if he does, man, he can definitely blow up.
2: Absolutely. One one quick thing about Kamara too is that JJ Zachariasen of Number Fire is a pretty big um running back doesn't matter guy. I mean, though he does, doesn't does think you should never draft one. There are special cases. But, you know, his model basically said Kamara is so good that he was worth a first-round pick. And his model basically says never draft a first-round running back. So, like, that speaks to Kamara's greatness. And that the stats you referenced, I mean, I remember looking through that, and it just is mind-blowing how good Kamara is. And also, you know, randomly, but Jarek McKinnon, please run the right direction uh, based on the statistics. I have no idea where you're going.
1: Yeah, he was the worst out of all of those backs when it came to explosive run frequency for zero to negative yards. So there might be some issues there with McKinnon. Let's take a look at the wide receiver position here. And there was an article written at the Quant Edge, which was a 2018 fanball wide receiver heat map. Now, I'm a fantasy player, but I'm also a fantasy novice for the most part. But in this article, I see that the 2019 average draft position for DeAndre Hopkins at the time of the article was 6.3, while Devontae Adams is at 8.7. But when you check the heat map, you see the stability Adams brought last year. 100% of his games, he scored 15 points or more. The only wide receiver to do that in the league. Does that high floor project well enough into next year to make you say no to Julio Jones, no to Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., Michael Thomas and the aforementioned Hopkins in favor of Adams as your top wide receiver?
2: I lean Hopkins some, but I mean, if I get Adams, I'm more than happy with that consolation prize. I mean, his target volume is is phenomenal, but the I mean, one of the biggest things for him is, you know, he led the NFL in red zone targets. You know, people were worried that Jimmy Graham was going to take him, take that away from him. But Jimmy Graham is not Jimmy Graham anymore. And Devontae Adams just wins all day in the red zone. I mean, Aaron Rodgers talked about the fact that he didn't throw him the ball enough, which is I mean, it's absurd. That's one of those offseason, you know, coach speak, player speak things that don't make make any difference. But it is absurd when you think about Adams, you know, sheer volume attached to, you know, arguably the most talented quarterback in the NFL. I really don't want to argue about Aaron Rodgers. It's just a situation where I'm not going to slander him either. But it's just when your wide receiver can be attached to a great quarterback and he's locked into significant volume, like eight or more targets per game, plus he's going to get all the red zone looks. And I know red zone stats can be noise in terms of predicting touchdowns in the future. But, you know, if if it's every year he's getting 40% of the red zone looks, he's going to score some touchdowns. Um, I, I really like Devontae Adams. So in this article, and
1: I like the way that this is laid out, you have green light, orange light, and red light. A couple duos that could present solid value are Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs for the Vikings. Also, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald of the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm in on Thielen and Diggs. I think they're, top, they're both top 15 wide receivers. You feel like those guys are going to get theirs regardless. So I'm interested to see them mentioned in the same breath as a shaker situation in Arizona with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. Are you in on picking up one of Cliff's toys, or are you a little more skeptical than the author here?
2: First off, you know your your frequent co-host Ben uh, <laughs> wrote an article that the cardinal their path to the Cardinals Super Bowl. So shout out to him on this. And no matter what I say, I am not higher on the Cardinals than he is. <laughs> I'm a big Christian Kirk guy this year just because, you know, at the end of the day, what Cliff is going to do is they're going to go fast and there's going to be a lot of volume in that offense. Mm. And, you know, Thielen and Diggs are the far better fantasy players. But when you add in cost, Kirk and Fitzgerald are, are good values. Kirk has really shot up the board, as guys like Evan Silva have talked about him. He used to be in the ninth round. Now he's kind of going the seventh. But, you know, if they're going to run 75, 80 plays per game, you know, this offense is going to be night and day from where it was last year. There's still a lot of TBD on will it work in the NFL, but it'll be great for fantasy football. So I kind of want to get pieces of that offense. You know, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Kirk can work outside or inside. You know, they're going to run a lot of four wide. Larry Fitzgerald, you know, he's still open all the time. Um, mm. It's it's a lot of underneath stuff. It's not quite vertical. But, you know, the, the sheer volume that they're going to have in that offense with Murray's playmaking ability and Kirk's ability after the catch makes me in, very intrigued from a fantasy perspective.
1: So also in this article, I see that Juju Smith-Schuster is – I believe he was an orange light. Let me- he is an orange light. Yeah. So Juju Smith-Schuster is an orange light in this. And I get that because for myself – I am a fan and a skeptic of him at the same time. I recently evaluated him in the summer and did so around the same time that I did the Robert Woods evaluation from the Rams. And if I were to use the same grading system formula as I do for prospects coming in via the NFL draft, I would have had a higher grade on Woods. Now, we know Juju is young and there's some projection involved. But is Juju's expected volume enough to stave off concerns about him not benefiting from Antonio Brown? Being the focal point for defensive coordinators and also the fact that Juju tends to struggle a little bit more against press and might have to see more of that now moving forward. Are you taking a more cautious approach with Juju, or are you all in on him?
2: I mean, I think everything you said basically sums up my feelings on Juju Smith Schuster. <laughs> you know, also Robert Woods might be the most underrated player in the NFL. That guy is so good. I'm
1: trying to tell you, man. I'm trying to he does everything Juju does from the slot, does it better and 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 cleaner at this point in their careers, in my opinion.
2: But he the thing is, you know, he doesn't get the volume of Juju. And in right. fantasy, it's not necessarily who's the more talented player. You're you're really looking at what's the more valuable situation. Opportunity, yeah. And I I I love Robert Woods this year in fantasy as well. He continues to get underdrafted year after year and then continues to just put up big numbers and a great offense. With Juju, you know, a big thing for me is the volume is going to be there, right? The Steelers pass as much as any team in the NFL. There's a ton of target vacancy with Antonio Brown leaving. And his biggest competition for targets is Dante Moncrief, who I don't really care what he ran in the forty. I'm going to continue to look at his NFL career not being impressive and not get super worried about him. I yeah. like James Washington coming out, but he did struggle some last year. My question is, like, is Juju going to stay in the slot? Because I think that's where he's best. Correct. You know, my big concern at USC was how he really struggled to separate. When the Steelers came in and they used him well, I actually remember you and I talked about this. I thought he was overdrafted by the Steelers. And from a fantasy perspective, I had concern if they were going to put him on the outside. I didn't think he would step into that role and succeed. And you were like, if they move him in the slot, he could have a lot of success early on. And that's what they did. Because I was down on
1: Juju, but I like the situation in Pittsburgh. It's perfect for him. What well, was.
2: I mean, Pitt- Pittsburgh knows how to draft wide receivers historically, Correct. too. Yeah. Here's my thing about Juju is I think he's a tier below... Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Odo Beckham, and Michael Thomas. Mm -hmm. If you're going to draft him in that range, I'm out. But once he kind of goes into the – like I have him right below Antonio Brown, uh, the Mike Evans tier. I'm okay with it because of the sheer volume, even if he's not on that level of talent. Just because if he's going to get that much opportunity, it's going to be hard for him to fail from a fantasy perspective. So I'm not going out of my way to get him, but if he falls, I'm willing to take that upside there.
1: That's fair. I definitely understand that point. Today, you published an article highlighting the AFC East and their fantasy outlook. And I, and I had a question in my notes about players you'll be fading. So I'll just piggyback off that and just start the discussion with Devontae Parker, wide receiver of the Dolphins, the offseason darling of, of every beat reporter in Miami. How, how is he looking? Are you fading him? Because I'm fading the heck out of him.
2: Listen, I'm not doing this again. I, I I stopped doing it like two years ago. But every yeah. year, it's so funny. Like this guy wasn't getting drafted a month ago. And then a report comes out that Devontae Parker looks like an all-world receiver in the middle of June. And then he starts going to the 12th round. And I'm like, guys, yeah. boy, this is like year number five. We're doing this. Like please stop doing this. Now the receiver I really like in Miami is Kenny Stills, especially with Ryan Fitzpatrick looking like he's going to start. Because if there's a YOLO quarterback in the NFL, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he <laughs> likes to throw the ball deep. Stills is not Deshaun Jackson, but he can step into that role with Fitzpatrick last year. Jackson had a 19.6 average depth of target. You know, Stills is a big-time playmaker down the field. And, you know, Fitzpatrick, for all the he won't win you games, but he, he kind of goes down in a blaze of glory. And we'll have some big weeks with – and if he has big weeks, someone on the team has to do well. So I'm fading Parker but buying stills at a cheaper cost despite the fact that he's been a better player for four straight years.
1: You know who I love there is Albert Wilson. And I was so disappointed that he tore his ACL last year because the the guy is – good. I thought he was underrated coming into the season. People wondered why they paid him so much. But then you watch him and you watch him after the catch and he can be extremely productive in that offense. And yeah, Fitzpatrick is an interesting – dynamic there as well as we look around towards the rest of the AFC East who, who are some other guys that you're just kind of out on right now
2: uh, I'm out on Le'Veon Bell just mm. because it's a situation where like as a Jets fan uh, as an educated Jets fan I was not excited about the signing as uh, just like a I was excited that we actually have like a big name player on the team uh, just from like a fanhood standpoint but yeah you know Adam Gase he runs such a slow offense without Peyton Manning And less plays is bad for running back. It's going to be a worse offensive line. You know, it's just he's getting drafted as if he's almost going to be the Pittsburgh running back anymore. And he's just not going to see that volume. So I'm not paying that price tag. Uh, I don't draft rookie wide receivers. So Harry from the Patriots, I'm out on. Uh, I think there's going to be a learning curve for him there as well. Yeah. If you're not running deep for the Bills, I have no interest in putting you on my fantasy team.
1: You know, it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean Allen's an aggressive downfield thrower and they've kind of catered the offense especially in the second half of the season to highlight that. So yeah, you're looking for the downfield threats.
2: Yeah, I mean Josh Allen is I maintain that I think he's a bad NFL quarterback, but from a Me fantasy too. perspective, he's like I'm going to throw out 40 yards or I'm going to try to scramble. And I'm yep. like, I wish all my fantasy quarterbacks did that. They would never win <laughs> games, but it would be fantastic for, for, for fantasy, right? Because exactly. rushing yards and, and chunk plays are what you're looking for. And John Brown and Robert Foster fit that. Like The Cole Beasley signing confuses me because I don't think he fits what Josh Allen wants to do at all. And they have about eighty five running backs, twelve of which are over thirty five years old. So, like, I have, I'm not touching that
1: backfield. Yeah, Cole Beasley is funny because you take this smaller guy for an inaccurate quarterback, and you're thinking, when are they ever going to hook up? But yeah, I mean, the the, Ro- the Robert Foster thing, as you noted in the article, third highest A dot, the second half of the year at twenty point eight at that average depth of target is really nice. Caught 22 of 33 passes while seeing 27% of team air yards. So that's, like you said, the end quote there. Big plays and free. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in Robert Foster. And you're right, Allen isn't a great quarterback, but I think he's fantastically fun for fantasy any other guys that you want to mention as far as guys that you might be way higher on we can go outside the afc west here just for just for a last couple here before we wrap up but is there anybody you've been fighting pounding the table for on the timeline either for or against that we haven't mentioned yet
2: yeah i mean one guy in the afc east that i'll stick with is robbie anderson i think he's in for a really big year the the second half of the year he dominated with sam darnold he's clearly Darnold's go-to guy you know, he didn't have the the volume of Mike Evans and Juju Smith-Schuster, but his piece of the bi- pie was bigger than theirs. So if they there is, if Adam Gase does do anything with this offense and they, they're able to run more than the least plays per game in the NFL, you know, because they the Jets were 29th in place or 26th in place per game, it's not like they were running very many plays either. I really think Anderson's got a major upside. He's really developed as a receiver from a guy that couldn't get off press to potentially a legitimate number one. Curtis Samuel is a guy that I'm, I'm really high on this year as well. I mean, you're looking at a guy that once has stepped out of the picture, looking at eight or more targets, explosive plays, getting involved in the run game, they find creative ways to get him the football. That offense could be fun. It's kind of, it has a chance to be a real college-like feel to it. Who are you drafting first? Are you drafting DJ Moore or are you drafting Curtis Samuel? So I, I think Moore is going to score more fantasy points, but if I had to choose between Moore in the fifth round and Samuel in the ninth round, I'm taking Samuel all day long. Oh, okay. Josh Gordon's a guy that's free, and if he actually plays this year, he can be a wide receiver too for you. You have to understand there's a chance he doesn't play at all, but he's got a chance to be suspended for four to six games or an entire season. And if he's only suspended for four to six games, you know he he can come in and win you a league at the end. D.D. Westbrook's a guy that's shaping up to potentially get a lot of volume and. One of my favorite late round guys is Chase Edmonds of the Cardinals. With how many their offensive line's bad, but with how many plays they're gonna run, DJ cannot be on the field the whole time. I anticipate probably a 75-25 split and Edmonds getting some pass game work on a team that could run 75, 80 plays per game. And if something happens to DJ, Chase Edmonds is going to, you know, be a league winner. So my biggest thing at the end of drafts, and I know we've talked about the some, is do you have a role on your offense that's valuable Mm. and then in a sport that's dominated by injuries if an injury happens can you become a league winner and chase edmonds dallas goddard guys like that are the kind of guys i'm targeting because it's impossible to predict injuries but if you set yourself up so that if a big one happens that you can win a league that's that's the way i like to attack end of drafts
1: i love it i'm a much smarter fantasy person coming into this draft now because i didn't do nearly enough research but that's you know these shows are kind of catered to me so that I can learn, and then hopefully the listeners learn as well. So I appreciate you stopping in, Elliot. Let the listeners know one more time where they can find you, where they can find your stuff at the Edge.
2: Mike, I just want to thank you again for, for having me on, man. This was such a blast. You know, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Elliot Crist, E-L-I-O-T-C-R-I-S-T. Uh, check out the QuantEdge.com. We talked about all the tools, the new website's coming out soon. You know, you can sign up for a free account today so you can stay in, in the know about everything that's happening. Uh, you can use the code promo promo code power hour for twenty five dollars off your season long DFS subscription. I really appreciate this opportunity. You know, you and you and Ben do such an amazing job with these podcasts. The Eagles are gonna be one of the most fun teams. So, you know, I'll be rooting for the Eagles with you this year because I'm gonna have plenty of stacks with them. And I just want to say thanks again for letting me come on and check out thequanage.com. P.G. And...